What's up, everybody? Brian Tong here. Welcome to the Apple Bits XL for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. This is your show. This is our show. You can be a part of it. Call us at 1 833 888 That's 833 2295 I want to hear your voicemails because I think there's going to be a lot to talk about this week specifically. Maybe not the most Apple news, but it's how Google I.O. and what they announced affects Apple moving forward. So for all you tech fans and Apple fans here, we like to give a broad perspective of what's going on from a competition standpoint because there's no reason for us to just have our heads under the ground, just totally oblivious to what else is happening in the tech world. And I think really what happened at Google I.O., which is their developers conference and happened earlier this week, opened a lot of eyes from a lot of the Apple loyalists. And I have never really seen a large reaction like this from them. Finally, after all the years of me telling you guys and gals that Siri is not even close, there's plenty of people that just kind of say, no, Siri's good enough. It's it's good enough until they either try another product or until what they saw what happened at Google I.O. So I'm just gonna talk about a few things here. Google I.O., they dropped kind of some of the updates that will be coming to their Google Assistant. That is obviously their platform for voice assistant AI. And they showed off a couple of things. First of all, I think the biggest thing that everyone is freaking out about is their feature called Google Duplex. And why is it crazy? We're going to, this is still not officially rolled out. It's a beta, but you'll be able to tell your phone to schedule an appointment and then it will actually call for you using its own AI dialogue to actually book a call. So I'm going to play a clip from that for those of you that haven't heard it, just to get a sense of what this sounds like. And I want you to figure out which one is actually the AI because it sounds really good. So here's an example of Google Duplex and what they dropped on everyone's head. Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. I mean, come on. Think about think about how crazy that was. The dialogue, the back and forth, the ums, the mm-hmms, those subtle conversational points that happen that we do every day. But Google is doing this through duplex. People were freaking out. People were also really juiced up about like, this is insane that we are living in a day and age where I don't know if I would have ever, if you asked the, I don't know, 10-year-old version of me, if I would actually see something like this happen so smoothly in my, you know, I wouldn't, I don't think my brain would have been able to be wrapped around it. Now, now that we're older and we're around technology and we've seen how AI has evolved, sure, we're like, this is possible, but just as that for a demo, I mean, that is amazing. Some people are scared about it because they don't, they they have this weird feeling of, they don't like the idea that you don't know if someone is on the other line or not. Uh, we've had robocalls forever. We've had telemarketers that are humans. What's, what's 
you know, they say, oh, we should tell someone it's a robot call or it's an AI calling for us. How many times have you slammed a phone on a person that was calling you with a telemarketing call? Like, is that what's more rude? What's quote unquote, people were throwing around this term like it's not ethical. What is not ethical about an AI calling you? I think this is, it might be scary because now we're seeing how AI is starting to do things that are so normal and innate to us as humans that I think that's where maybe some of the backlash is. And then you start kind of trying to connect the dots and say, oh, now they're going to take over our jobs. Yes, AI is smart, but don't tell me that all of a sudden Skynet is coming. I think that's always the default. Oh, Skynet, I told you, their robot's going to take over the world. They're going to do more things. I think it's it's up to us to be more skilled as well and not just be lazy about things. But don't tell me, if you're turned off by this, I understand, but don't tell me this is not a great achievement in technology. It's it's honestly pretty amazing. So Google Duplex, that was one of the features they rolled out. It's not coming out yet. It was kind of more of a beta or an example to show the audience, but it will be coming down the road. I thought it was kind of amazing and incredible. They also showed off with their Google Assistant how you could have multiple queries at once. Basically, you can ask a question on multiple layers or multiple levels like, uh, I think it was it had something to do with who was in a movie, the same, and how about this? What was the number one movie in the box offices when Kevin Durant was traded to the Warriors? Like, totally two obscure points that could lead you to an actual answer. So multiple level queries was also part of it. And then even this new feature where they want people to speak more politely to your Google Assistant, you don't have to always say the special magic keyword or the prompt word. You can then say, please, you know, being extra nice, like pretty please. It's almost training kids to interact with AI. And what I found compelling about that is that we're now a young generation is so comfortable with talking to a speaker and in artificial intelligence, much like the current young generations are so comfortable with dealing with touch screens and iOS devices that, they just know how to use it at literally at the age of two or three. My nieces and nephews knew how to use for in the most part an Apple product, which is crazy. So now it's a social interaction that they're getting comfortable with. These were all put on display at Google I.O. But what I want to tie it back to, because yes, this is the Apple bits, is the fact that think of where Siri is right now. I know I have harped on how bad Siri is. If you thought Siri was behind, Siri is now light years behind what Google is doing. In fact, you might argue, other than having less third-party partners for smart home devices, the Google Assistant has kind of taken the next step over the Amazon Echo with what they've shown. Again, this is not hasn't officially rolled out, but we've I've always felt, right, Amazon had the lead, Amazon had the most partnerships, but really as a platform, the Google Assistant was always smarter and guess what? They have Google's engineers and AI brains. Just that is where they're, that is one of their specialties when you talk about all the tech companies and line them up. So we're starting to see the point now where the Google Assistant is probably just a notch ahead of the Echo, other than the amount of smart home compatibility and then some of those third party app hooks, which will be coming. And then when you look at Siri, oh my gosh. Very few third-party app partners because they keep it so locked down. 
only something like what we talked about, 200 smart home devices that they're compatible with on their website and not even all of those are available. It's not as smart. It's not as elegant. It can't handle multiple queries. Um, it, there's nothing that is going to come close to going to Google Duplex. And you see this gap is huge now. And we talked about it with Mark Gurman. Apple needs to blow up Siri. They absolutely have to do it. They recently hired the head of Google's AI and basically poached him over to Apple. I'm sure he's looking at it and is like, we need to blow this up. But in the meantime, they're going to go with what they have. And I think WWDC is going to be really important for us to see what does Apple actually do here now. The Google I.O. just created this huge, huge gap. What? How does Apple respond? Because they're not going to be able to flip a switch in a month and say, hey, look, we got all this cool stuff. Whatever they have been working on up to this point is what they have. Google showed their cards of how they view a voice assistant future, the heart of so many of our devices as we move forward. We'll see what Apple does. I think it's really interesting. I also really want to hear what you all think was the whole Google duplex was that pushing things a little too far? Does that make you uncomfortable? Uh, where do you stand with Siri now? Have you finally said, wow, Siri really is behind or you're still happy with Siri because of how it doesn't access all your information and it does keep some of your things private? I really want to know what Apple Bits Nation is feeling. So call us, call me, one 833 abxl I need to hear from you. We have plenty of listeners, but I want you to participate in this because I think this is a fascinating discussion and will really dictate what happens with Apple moving forward as a platform from a standpoint of how much how much further behind do they, are they going to be? How much further behind do they want to be? They can't do this anymore. So re- really interesting stuff here. In addition to this, kind of related to the whole AI vo- voice assistant, a follow-up story from the New York Times a piece put together them says researchers have demonstrated subliminal smart device commands that have potential for malicious attacks. So what does this really mean? Researchers in the U.S. and China, they've been performing tests in an effort to basically demonstrate that we can have hidden commands that are undetectable to human ears. So maybe on a frequency that we can hear that can actually reach AI assistants like Siri, like, you know, Amazon Echoes and the Google Assistant. We, I can't say the magic word because I forgot to turn off my you-know-what uh, echo. I don't want to say the word. It's going to set it off here while we're recording. But the, these are ways that these AIs can hear things that aren't detectable to us and actions that owners like us never intended. This is, this is crazy stuff here. So the research was, again, highlighted by the New York Times and suggests that these subliminal commands that we as humans cannot hear that can be placed in songs or spoken text can dial phone numbers, open websites, and even potentially do things with your smart home like unlock your doors, right? Or really mess with things. That's fascinating. Now, this is not something that they're saying, oh, it's not happening right now. But these are students from University of California, Berkeley, and Georgetown University that published this research paper this month. They could embed commands into music recordings or spoken text. And then when played near an Echo or an iPhone, you know, you and I would just hear this song, but Siri and the Echo might hear an instruction to do something. That's, that's pretty fascinating. They call these um, type of attacks. 
dolphin attacks, right? This think about like how dolphins send send messages to each other. So this is research based on Princeton University and Zhejiang University in China. But this is happening. So they wanted to make people aware really more about this for security purposes that companies are aware that this could happen. It's not actually happening, but how can we protect ourselves from these subliminal messages being sent to these devices in ways that we can't hear? Just again, you're showing how this space is so rapidly evolving and how we have to think of things that we've never thought about. I mean, I can't, I can't whisper into a Siri and just say something. I can't do that. But I thought that was pretty, pretty uh, fascinating how this space is just evolving so fast. All right, we have some also follow-up iPhone news. iOS 11.4, this is an update that's currently being beta tested, is including what's called a USB restricted mode that introduces a week-long expiration date on access to the lightning port on your iOS devices if your phone or other iOS device hasn't been unlocked in the past week. And why is this layer of security there? What, what, is, what is this really for? Well, we've talked about this on the show, the gray box. Remember, that was a box that law enforcement agencies are using where you can plug in someone's phone. They don't need to be near it. They don't have to touch ID or passcode and lock it. And it will be able to break through and then be able to suck off and siphon off user data from that phone. We've heard of a lot of cases where the data on phones has been requested to help them um, in their cases. It's been requested by, you know, to courts to give give law enforcement agencies access to this. But what Apple is doing here is pretty much using this disabler almost to combat. They haven't directly addressed it, but it would combat things like this gray box from working because if you have never unlocked your phone over the past seven days, and we know how that, right? That happens all the time. If someone is, let's say, arrested or their phone or their iPad is at home and they haven't, you know, they finally... Authorities have found their devices. Now they want to take the data off. If this USB restricted mode is there, allegedly, at least right now, they won't be able to get access to it. This was first introduced in the iOS 11.3 beta. It didn't make it into the iOS 11.3 release, but is now in the iOS 11.4 beta. It doesn't mean it's going to be included in the actual final thing. But again, there's so, as technology is now integrated even deeper into our lives. There are so many new um, issues that we're dealing with from the voice side and even from just unlocking your phone and getting access to it. So the USB restricted mode right now is a feature inside of iOS 11.4. Other quick things just around the iPhone world, Apple's budget iPhone 10. Remember, there's three models that are gonna be out there and one of them has been rumored to have a 6.1 inch screen with Face ID, but it would be reportedly using an LCD display. Uh, reports out of Business Korea say it will be using an MLCD Plus display. This is the same technology that's in the LG G7 ThinkQ Think smartphone. This is their newest phone that actually is getting very tepid, lukewarm reviews and, resp- and responses just because they didn't really do anything special for it. And in fact, it feels like not that LG has given up on the phone game, but they really didn't bring anything new to the table when in the past LG, you know, I think their V30 line is kind of what they're focusing on, but the LG G line had been kind of one of their flagships where they introduced new innovations with the camera, 
Uh, it was, if I recall right, I believe it was the LG G3 or G4 was the first one to bring the fingerprint sensor on the back in the middle, right below the camera, which I thought was an amazing place to put it when I first had it. And I still think it's a great spot to put it. Um, my finger naturally falls into place and we've seen other Android phones copy that, but the, it was one of the phones that brought innovative features and the G7 just doesn't. So the report here is this screen will be an LCD based screen. What makes it different or improved is that this LCD screen has three subpixels, red, blue, and green. That's standard, right? But the M LCD plus screens that we'll be using have a fourth white subpixel for increased brightness, but still gains the benefits of lower power consumption than your typical IPS LCD panel. So we will see how that works. Just some, some of the rumblings and rumors about components going in the background of the iPhone world in Look, WWDC is just around the corner. It'll be, I believe it's June. Is it June 4th? I have to double check. June 4th, I believe it is um, during that week. So we'll wait and see what happens. And hardware typically comes in September as usual. So we'll see the OS, what they do with Siri, what they do with um, the next iOS, and, and we'll go from there. Also, Apple says the inventory of iPhone replacement batteries is now available without delay. I can tell you this is true because... I recently set in my, sent in my older iPhone 6S that qualified for the battery replacement program. They sent me a box out, I think within like a day. I shipped it out to them and the repair was done in like two days. So if you still still haven't jumped on that to see if your, your battery has an issue, it was the 6S, and a set, or 6S, 7 and 7S that had been reportedly affected, then you can check that out and at least you don't have to wait around. So that's a good thing. All right, let's take a little breather and thank you, our sponsor for the show. It's you, right? Here we go, www.patreon.com slash Brian Tong. So many of you have been so um, generous and I thank you. You know, it's up to me to deliver content and a show that brings information and that you love. But again, you can support this podcast at my Patreon, which is a sponsorship. It's a monthly subscription, basically, to support the content I put out, specifically the Apple Bits XL podcast, and it's going to help me grow more. I'm ramping up the video content, and you guys and gals have seen some of that. But I just want to say, first of all, thank you, and you can start as low as $1 a month. We're, we're really hanging around halfway of my goal to keep this as a regular thing for the end of time. But I just want to say I appreciate that. You can even jump up to a level of $5 a month, which is like a cup of coffee. And if I'm bringing it for you, you know, then I think I, th- I think that's worth it. But thank you so much. Again, www.patreon.com slash Brian Tong. All right. In more news, let's talk Apple patents. Apple wins a patent for a round-faced Apple Watch, which everyone has been wondering, what is Apple doing? Are they going to change the form factor of the Apple Watch Series 4? Well, here's the interesting thing. We've always said, oh, I I don't know if we've. Everyone was, I kind of wanted, I personally wanted a round face from the start, but I will say that I really do like the, I've always liked the design and how the Apple Watch looked, even though I didn't like the product because it was really limited at, as of series one, I wore it a lot with its battery dead because I liked it. And I don't know if you've noticed, I kind of like to accessorize. Even my nieces and nephews notice that too. And they like to tease me for it and say that I wear women's jewelry. I don't think jewelry is unisex. Most of it. Most of it. All right. So to the story, Apple's been awarded a patent. uh, It was recently this week intended 
a patent for technology intended for use in a circular display. Specifically, it referenced a wristwatch as one of these applications. The illustration in the patent looks very much like a watch. So the interwebs are like, oh my gosh, is Apple going to put out a round iPhone? Like what? I'm sorry, a round Apple Watch finally, finally, what is going on here? Well, let's say I hope they don't because I got a lot of watch bands right now that I've invested in that would probably not work with this a new round face. Maybe maybe it would actually. They could still they could still make it work cuz they got that cool hinge system. Okay, here's what the patent actually describes. It's more about a specific approach to handling challenges posed by circular displays. In the actual document it says pixel arrays often have rectangular shapes. However, rectangular pixel arrays will not fit efficiently within a device having a circular shape. Circular displays can have a bottleneck in regions which signal lines become where signal lines become crowded, leading to inefficient use of the display area. So this patent would be to create a desire, desirable way to provide improved displays like circular ones and others with curved edges. Also, Patently Apple, who put this out here and has always put out a lot of great Apple patents that have kind of led us to maybe what is Apple thinking or not, They write that considering the fact Apple filed for this patent eight months after the original Apple Watch debuted with its rectangular interface and likely years after Apple Watch patents for a watch, Apple clearly gave their engineers this project to work on. So it's not a rejected design, but at least they were trying to come up with a purposeful engineered solution. And we'll we'll see if Apple ever decides to bring this to the market I think an Apple Watch now, when you see someone wear it, you know they're wearing an Apple Watch, and that has always been kind of a brand cachet of Apple. Like the iPhone, for the most part, looks like an iPhone, which every phone looks like now. <laughs> oh my gosh, everyone is doing the notch, which I still hate. I think it's still ugly. It's it's me. I don't care if you like it or not or say, oh, everyone's doing the notch. I think it's still but ugly. It's gross. It's not clean. It's gross. Get rid of that thing already. Once Apple gets rid of it, guess who's going to do get rid of it? Everyone else. Anyways, Apple Watch patents being floated around there. Also, um, Apple has been accepted or approved to participate in a pilot program that would allow them to operate drones in ways that have typically been restricted in the past by the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration in the U.S. This is according to a report from Reuters. It says that the U.S. Department of Transportation will announce 10 or did announce 10 winning state and local governments for inclusion in this program and has partnered with companies to help play a role in this test. At least 200 were vying to be part of the program. Now, the FAA has revealed the 10 agencies that will conduct these tests, including North Carolina's Department of Transportation. Apple will actually will be, according to this report, a partner in North Carolina's program. And their plan is to use the drones to capture aerial images to help improve their Maps app. So that's what Apple's looking to do this. Um, Things that qualify that have typically been restricted to the FAA plan to test drones for delivering packages, environmental monitoring, precision agriculture, pipeline oversight, various uses as airports. It could also be used for flying drones at night over people and beyond an operator's line of sight within the U.S. So these are all kind of next level ways, but they're, the FAA itself is only approving this with specific companies and uses right now. Apple is on that list in hopes to uh, improve their maps. And it was Apple that was reportedly using drones back in 2016, reported by Bloomberg, 
Mark Gurman and company that they were actually doing this already. So um, they're getting in the game. In Apple TV news, Apple is planning to sell subscriptions to streaming services through its TV apps. It's TV app. Remember, this is like what was kind of like their watch now app, but they actually call it the TV app, but it's not TV. It's a place where you can watch all your programs and pick up where they left off. Um, it's, it is kind of trying to be the hub of the, of the Apple TV. And maybe this will be the place where we end up seeing Apple's programming and streaming service. Who knows? Not streaming service, but you know, their, their TV deals or their content deals. They, they still have yet to come up with a live streaming television service. And I still don't think they will because there's no indications, but basically, instead of you going to a third-party website to sign up for HBO or Showtime or Stars, you can do this directly to the Apple TV. Uh, we don't know how original programming is going to factor in this. We don't know when they're going to launch this, but a report says that Apple will be doing subscriptions to streaming services directly through the Apple TV and their TV app. And finally, I just wanted to kind of take a little time to turn back the clock Last week, really on Sunday, we put out our show typically on Thursday, but this past Sunday was the 20th anniversary for the iMac. The 20th anniversary, that amazing little Bondi blue see-through iMac. I I don't know how many of you actually remember it, but here's the thing. It was a different, it was a different time when Apple put out the iMac. In fact, Apple was in a lot of trouble. They had a lot of they were losing money. They had like a really convoluted product line. Steve Jobs had been removed from the company for eight months, and this was his comeback. He went to Next, if you remember. He was uh, kicked out by the board, and this was kind of his way of saving the company at the time because Apple had been all over the place. Steve Jobs came to the Flint Center, which is at De Anza College in Cupertino, my hometown. I, I was still a kid when this was happening, or younger at least, I don't know about a kid. But you know, this was really Apple's way to save the company. He showed a chart to break down, okay, instead of having all these random computers, power PC G3s and blah, blah, blahs, we're gonna break down the line to a consumer desktop, a consumer portable, which was the MacBook, a professional portable, which was the MacBook, or the power, yeah, the PowerBook, and then a uh, professional desktop, which was the Power Mac. But the iMac, this was the colorful one, the see-through one, this was the computer that turned the company around and then the success of it allowed them to be like SJ to basically go to town and then bring us things like the iPod and then go from the iPod to the iPhone and the iPhone to the iPad. Like this really was the catalyst for Apple coming back. And the company was just flirting with potential bankruptcy uh, in this kind of breakdown, IMAX sales in the first weeks topped 278,000 units uh, for the first six weeks. And in October of 1998, Apple reported earnings of $106 million in its fourth quarter, making it its first profitable year since 1995, right? 1995. It also kind of started the whole naming scheme from I to iMac to iPod, the letter I. It stood for like an internet Mac. And so we've seen how it's evolved. I thought what would be cool is to kind of play some of Steve Jobs talking about from the keynote and just listen to his excitement about this product. So if I can get the screen switched over, we've got a wireless camera here and I'd like to show you what this thing looks like. Come on in. You've got to see this thing in person, but I'll do the best I can with video. 
This is iMac. The whole thing is translucent. You can see into it. It's so cool. We've got <laughs> stereo speakers on the front. We've got infrared right up here. We've got the CD-ROM drive right in the middle. We've got dual stereo headphone jacks. We've got the coolest mouse on the planet right here. <clears throat> Come on around. All of the connectors are inside one beautiful little door here, the Ethernet, the USB stuff. Around the back, we've got a really great handle here. The back of this thing looks better than the front of the other guys, by the way. And then around the side. So let's take one more, one more swing around it so you can see. This is what it looks like. And again, you've got to see one of these things in person. Great. Okay. What's the first thing that sticks out to you when you hear that clip? The in the genuine, authentic enthusiasm around a product. Like the childlike joy of a product and a product that he was clearly intimately involved in. And I'm sorry, you can't replicate that if people are always saying, stop talking about SJ. I hope you listen to that clip and and hear the excitement that translates. Like the Apple Watch... They talked about it like it was a soulless product, and now I love the Apple Watch. The Series Three is amazing. I am all on board about it. It's my fa- it's one of, you know iPad Pro and Apple Watch Series Three, my favorite favorite two of my favorite products right now. But that is what has been missing from Apple over the years. And sure, they're making plenty of money, but sometimes it's more it's about the essence of a product, how it makes you feel. And you worry about, yeah, they're a business. They have to worry about money, but they're sitting on over 200 something $80 billion of cash. Bring us those type of experiences. Bring us those type of products. And then I'll be like, man, this, this is really awesome. This is really awesome. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Thanks so much for hanging. Remember, please give us a call. Be a part of the show. 1-833-888-ABXL. That's 833-888-2295. I'd love to hear what you thought about uh, where Siri is, the whole Google I.O. demo, and how it you know pits them against each other. Is that gap something that you can't you know ignore anymore? Everything, I just love to hear what you guys and gals think. We're going to want to also say, obviously, thank you so much to my Platinum Apples that support us, this show, patreon.com slash Brian Tong, Brandon Ledford, Terrence McElvee from Stratos Wealth Partners, Gil Cabrera, and Andy Halverson, the $100 Platinum Apple supporters. And thank you to all of you who support this show. All right, that's going to do it. We will be back next week with more everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. That's the Apple Bits XL, baby. Talk to you soon. Be safe. Peace. Peace.